Now we've uh, prayed, so I'm going to read uh, Exodus chapter Exodus chapter nine and all thirty-five verses. So here we are, Exodus chapter nine, verse one. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews." Let my people go, that they might serve me. For if you refuse to let them go, and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time. Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. But the heart of the Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln, and let Moses throw it in the air in the sight of Pharaoh, and it shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt, and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh and Moses threw it in the air and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them, as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would be cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exhorting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore send, 
get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven, so there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast, and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff towards heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord, Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail. Very heavy hail, such as never had been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, there was no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the air, and the flux was in bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, and stretched out his hand to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his sons. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord has spoken through Moses. Tough times. Uh, if you look at that passage and think through what it might have been to live through it all. But it does leave us with a question, doesn't it? Why is God so harsh on people? In our state, 
in Dagenham. I spent last Wednesday evening with uh, a share-shocked family after a young mum who's just 38 died suddenly. And that follows the death of her brother, who was even younger when he died, and he was murdered. Now they are a lovely family. And they were very honest with what you asked, and said that they didn't believe in God. But I guess for them, they would say tragedies, like their experience, are further proof that there just isn't a God. Or else these things wouldn't happen. But you don't need to just listen to tragedies on our state. As we did tonight, you can pick up the Bible. And in today's passage, animals who have done no wrong, uh, they are killed. Uh, boils come out and cause suffering amongst every single person who is in the country. And hell destroys people and crops. And clearly, it is God who's got the smoking gun in his hand. If you look at verse 3, it is the hand of the Lord that is doing all this. Behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague. So, he is the one who's in charge. He's the one who's responsible. And tonight, we've only read about uh, three plagues. Uh, there have already been four and let me tell you, if that's not enough, we've still got three to come, because there are ten in all. Ten different ways in which God causes suffering. And it does make you wonder why, isn't it? When you think about it. And when you've heard all you have about God being nice to people. How does it work like this? But I think Exodus is a really helpful book to help us to think this one through. It's quite an important question to think about, so we need help. And I think there are two roads to look at suffering, and I want to suggest that they are there in this chapter, chapter 9. The first road that explains suffering and helps us to think about it is to think of suffering as uncreation. I'll explain. But also there's something about suffering that is proclamation that tells people about God brings them to him and we say something about that as well so first I want to talk about uh, suffering as uncreation now remember right at the start of the Bible when God made man what did he tell man to do if you look at Genesis chapter 1, that's where the Bible starts. And if you look at verse 28, you've got a Bible somewhere. It's worth looking at the Bible because otherwise you won't learn the Bible. So Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. Okay, what... Chapter 1 and verse 28. Okay. What does the Creator God tell people to do? Yeah. Be fruitful and multiply. So the first thing that uh, God wants in Genesis chapter 1 
is to increase life. Yes? What does Pharaoh want to do in Exodus chapter 1? Second book of the Bible. And you see what Pharaoh uh, wants to do. What does Pharaoh want to do? If you were here at the start, you remember the story, and you look, for example, at the very last verse of um, uh, Exodus. What does he want to do? Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. Kill the boys. In other words, go against creation and take life rather than give life. Everyone with me so far? Great. You see what he's trying to do? Pharaoh is anti-creator. He is the one who wants to send creation into reverse. Rather than increase, he wants to decrease. And so now, through these different plagues, what is happening is God is, if you like, uh, showing Pharaoh what anti-creation looks like. So what he does is he unravels creation. He sends creation into reverse, which is what Pharaoh had been trying to do at the start of the book. Understand? So what you have as you go through these different plagues, you started uh, at chapter 7, what you have is that you've got water that no longer brings life. You've got animals that no longer serve humans. In fact, they invade humans like armies. You've got uh, gnats, you've got frogs, you've got flies. In chapter 9, the land is left without livestock and vegetation. Human life is afflicted. In chapter 10, light turns into darkness. In chapter 11, life turns back into dust. And there's death. So everything is falling apart. Egypt is being unmade. Pharaoh's world is unraveling. And ultimately, at the end of these templates, you have a land which has no water, no animals, no livestock, no people, no vegetation. And what happens in Egypt? The uncreation of, of rebellion and the effect it has is actually, I think, what explains suffering today. Because we live in the same world made by the same creator and when we go against our creator we become anti-creators just the way the Pharaoh was and we can see that in our culture today and what our uh, creator says about in the Bible about marriage about sex about gender well our culture tells us that the Creator is wrong. And so we rebel against our Creator and we start being anti-Creator. And generally Christians are quiet because our culture is so strong that we feel intimidated. But God doesn't go quiet. And when we reject Him, 
what he does is he shows us that we are being unmade. Our lives unravel. Our lives fall apart. And the result is, if you look at society in Britain today, there is emotional darkness, there is mental breakdown, there is relational conflict, there are physical addictions. Sickness enters the world and we are all heading for death, which is the ultimate on creation. Now Egypt is a picture of a life in meltdown under God's judgment. And the plagues are, let me tell you, only small things. They are just pointers to something bigger, far more terrible, which is, in the end, God's future judgment on his world, where ultimately uh, there will be uh, a meltdown in creation as he comes in judgment. And that's why the Bible is as honest about that future with us as Moses was honest with Pharaoh. And Exodus gives us the lens of uncreation to explain why our lives today are falling apart. And so therefore, we need to understand suffering perhaps in that way. But there's another way to understand suffering too. And I'm using this heading as proclamation because if you look at chapter 9, verse 16, you see another reason why there is suffering in Egypt. And in chapter 9, 16, it says, <coughs> Excuse me, for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. That's why God is doing all these things in Egypt. He could, if you like, have put the whole thing to rest in uh, chapter uh, 9, verse 15. If I wanted to, I could simply have stopped everything in one go. But through these ten plagues, God is showing again and again what his power is like against those who would rebel against his authority. And when he, uh, uh, the sense of which actually he's already uh, given people due warning, he uh, uh, did that uh, at the start. But uh, we have ten plagues because God is going to show us how powerful he is at every stage. Now, we've got to be careful. That little song that we sang, which is a wonderful little song, it certainly tells us that there were ten plagues, it tells us what they all were. And you might even, after learning that song, remember what the order was. But the thing about that song, and a lot of people think that the plagues are there, if you like, to try and ultimately get Pharaoh's fingers off the people of God so finally he can be prized clear and let them go. So you need ten plagues because, you know, it took that long to loosen his grip. But we need to think again. The plagues that happened to Egypt are not because God wanted to deliver his people and so this is the way he could do it bit by bit. The plagues are all there to show us ten different 
uh, pictures of God's power. They are part of God's mission statement to the world to show how powerful he is. And therefore, there are some people who listen to the God who is powerful. And if you look at verse 20, you will see that whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and livestock into the houses. They understood that here was a God ultimately who had ultimate power over his creation. And therefore, he had to be taken seriously. In fact, Pharaoh, by the end of the story, is taking God seriously because now, when the plagues come to him, he doesn't go to his magicians anymore. He goes straight to Moses and says, Moses, please, let this stop. But there are some people who don't listen. And when people don't listen in verse 21, you will see that they don't limit the power of God. They actually experience the power of God. Because whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field and they died. So here's the thing. The big teaching point in this part of the Bible is to realize that God is the one who is behind suffering. It's a terrible thing you might think for someone to say. But let me tell you that only because there is a God who is behind suffering that we have someone to ask to end suffering. Do you get that? Only if there is a God behind suffering will we then have someone to ask to end suffering. Because verse 28, that's what Moses does. He is the one who sends the suffering. Therefore Pharaoh says, therefore plead with the Lord. But there's been enough of God's thunder and hell. It's his thunder so guess who we should go to if you wanted to stop? Only if you recognize that it's his thunder, will you go to him and say, please stop. And what we see in verse 33 is that when people plead to God for mercy, he listens, he hears. And so in verse uh, 33, Moses went out to city from Pharaoh, stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. So you see that when we ask the God who is responsible for suffering to show us his mercy and his hand of mercy instead, that is always heard and answered. You see that in the land of Egypt in chapter 9, but you see even better at the cross. Because if you look at the day Jesus died on the cross, and I wonder if you could just keep a finger in Exodus chapter 9 and turn in the Bible to Matthew chapter 27, and uh, you'll see what happened on the day that Jesus died on uh, page, um, thank you, 835. <coughs> Matthew chapter 27 and let me read to you Matthew chapter 
27 verse 51 and behold the curtain the temple was torn in two this is the time that Jesus died you see that in verse 15 Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit and verse 51 behold the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split what you see is if you like the plagues are happening on the day Jesus died and largely around him and certainly focused on him that is the reason why the land of Goshen in verse 4 did not suffer any plagues it is because Jesus would come later and if you like carry the effects of those plagues on himself when he died on the cross he took that judgment on himself and on the cross what the astonishing thing is that our maker Jesus became unmade and died so that we could be remade if you look at what happened at the time that Jesus died it actually looks with the rock splitting and the earth shaking it's like the world is being unmade and he had three hours of darkness just like the people in Egypt had three days of darkness in chapter 10 and yet if you look at uh, Matthew chapter 27 and verse 52 as the rock split at the same time the tombs broke open in verse 52 and many bodies of saints who had fallen asleep were raised and came up out of the tombs after his resurrection and they appeared to many so in that moment of uncreation on the cross a new creation starts up as dead people come back to life and it anticipates the resurrection of Jesus and his resurrection and that resurrection anticipates your resurrection if you are a believer and the new creation door opens and begins so we need to understand what Jesus did for us on the cross not just as a sort of a theoretical God loves me in a uh, distant kind of uh, detached sort of way. We need to understand that what God does for us when He saves us is absolutely bound up in His creation as it gives us a new creation and a new hope uh, in the way we live in that creation today. So, I'm sorry, I've been carried away and I haven't shown you all the slides. <laughs> but suffering doesn't tell you that there is no God. It tells you that there is a God. So that we can go to the person who is in charge of suffering for his help. And that's what uh, Moses does in Exodus chapter 9 verse 28. That's the prayer that God answers in chapter 9 verse 33 but you see the wonderful way in which uncreation 
is replaced by a new creation on the day Jesus died on the cross. Well, what does that mean for us tonight? And I want to suggest three different people might want to listen to three different things. If you are someone who is uh, new to Christian things and you haven't thought deeply about uh, Christianity before, maybe because you have suffered and you've been put off Christianity and you've been put off God because of suffering, may I suggest tonight that you want to come to a better conclusion about your suffering than that there is no God. I want to suggest that you see your suffering as another example of the uncreation that is experienced in our world when the Creator is rejected. And to see that if there is a Creator God who is therefore so powerful that He shows us His power, His uncreating power in suffering, then there is someone that we can go to and humbly plead with and talk to about our suffering. If we would humbly accept uh, his uh, great authority over us. And these plagues are there to tell us what, will, what it will be like if we don't listen to our Creator. Why ten? Because if you like, they are almost uh, like a, a slow motion train crash, aren't they? That show us how one thing will then fall apart and lead to another thing falling apart and leading to another thing falling apart. This is what life is like. And the terrible thing about these successive tragedies is rather than finally pull us out and wake us up, we go in deeper and deeper and deeper into our rebellion, just the way the Pharaoh did. Wouldn't it be better? Rather than take the approach that people did in verse 21, which is to say, I don't think I care too much, let it happen, bring it on. To instead go to people like verse 20 and say, no, I'm going to listen to the word of the Lord this time. And whoever fears the word of the Lord and uh, hurries into safety will be saved. That is the message of the Bible. And it's an open invitation. It may be that actually we've had, yes, that's the thing, that we want to uh, ask God, because that is someone we can turn to for help. It may be that actually we've had a bit of a churchy past, you might have been to church lots of times before you got here tonight, and it's tempting to say, isn't it, by God, we've had a fairly bomb-proof life, because well, generally, we've been good people and we've been spared the bad things. <coughs> that is to say, well, we're a bit like the people in Goshen. You know, we're much better than the Egyptians over there, and therefore they've had it bad, but we've had it good. And church people can be arrogant and self-congratulatory in that kind of way. My friends, what we need to understand is that if we have been given any kind of exemption at all from suffering, then it is entirely because Jesus took what we deserve. We deserve far worse than we have experienced, I can tell you that. And Jesus carries that on the cross 
in our place. If we've been spared, he's the one to be complained for that reason. But at the same time, if we have not been spared, then that ought to be no surprise to us because just as Goshen experienced some of the same plagues the people of Egypt did because they were in that same locality, in the same way, Christians will experience suffering and plagues of sadness in the ways that other people in Britain do because we too are in the same place and we suffer the same things as others do as well. So we aren't uh, exempt and have any right to exemption. But if God has been gracious to us, then thank the Lord Jesus for dying on the cross. That's the reason why we have been plagued more than we have. But it may be that you are a believer and maybe tonight you feel a bit worn down by the battering that we get from others all the time that we have a God who seems to enjoy making people suffer. And we hate being told that all the time again and again. It's so easy to be cowed into silence. My friends, it is important for us in those conversations to find ways of saying that suffering reveals that there is a God when other people are saying suffering shows that there's no God. We need to say that suffering reveals that there is a God because this is exactly what you would expect to see. The kind of suffering we have in the world today is exactly <coughs> the kind of thing we would expect to see in the world today as God judges the world rejecting its maker. Now we need to be very careful how we say that. We certainly don't want to make any personal straight lines between this person's suffering and this person's sin. Why Bible doesn't do that and we mustn't either. But in a general way we can say that there is suffering in the world today. We all experience it. Some more than others. But it's there in the world today because there is a God and because there is a God that is showing his power to a world that thinks that he can reject him and life will be fine. It won't. It becomes unmade. Life unravels. And so therefore suffering is the opportunity for evangelism as Exodus chapter 9 verse 16 tells us. It is. God's name to be proclaimed in all the earth. My friends, if you try and dodge the straight connection between God and suffering and say somehow the devil sends suffering and God is the one who's there to sort of make it all right again, what you're essentially suggesting to people is that there is this kind of conflict going on in the world and, and so many goals get scored against God because suffering happens and God doesn't seem to stop it. Then what we need to understand is there is a link between God and suffering. But because there is a link between God and suffering, there is a God we can go to in suffering. And a God in the end who suffered on the cross to open up a door for a new creation because uh, the uncreation of the world is what uh, uh, suffering ultimately suggests. Suffering is, and the, 
only time people mention God sometimes. That's when people have got a gripe and we'll talk about it. And in verse 16, this is our chance to speak of his power because it's only if he is the cause that he ignores the answer. Now that might be something quite uh, provocative. You might just want to come back and uh, uh, think that's good with more and we can do that with our question time. But first, let's just have a moment of prayer because I think actually it's really important. I don't think we'll get anything from the Bible unless after we hear it explained, we go back and talk to God about what we have heard. So unless you and me, we have a conversation with God about what we've heard tonight, generally it won't really last very long in our lives. So it may be that if you're someone who is uh, not yet Christian, you might want to say, God, I do sense what I'm hearing tonight is right. There is a point at which my life is unraveling. God, I want to come to talk to you. I want to from now on live under the authority of you as my creator rather than not listen to it anymore. That would be a great prayer. If you are someone who has generally been around church, it may be an option to say, God, I thank you that where I have not had too much to endure, it is because your son endured that for me rather than because I have been and it may be that if you're someone who's Christian and you have people you know who suffered maybe this is a time to pray for and say God please in their suffering would they come to find you so in a moment we'll have uh, we'll have one minute to uh, uh, pray quietly privately and then I'll pray and then we'll take questions and answers after that. Let's have a moment of quiet first. Now, may yourself let me pray. Heavenly Father, we hate suffering, but it's because we reject our Creator that our lives fall apart. So please give us grace to humbly seek you because Jesus died to take our judgment and to protect us from it. So please uh, help us to seek him and use us to bring relief to our estate as we invite everyone to seek you in suffering and to respond to you as our Creator and our God. And we ask this, that we might take your name and your word seriously and live our lives to the praise and glory of Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen.